Ephesians chapter number six is where we'll be. Let's just take a look here in the first couple of verses of uh, the, uh, verse, verse 10, 10, 11, at least of our text. The Bible says there, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. I want to preach to you in a message that this evening I've entitled, Be Strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. You know, I've never considered myself to be a person of great physical strength in a, uh, in a physical sense. My, my athletic abilities have always been somewhat minimal and somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat marginal. I was never the guy who could run the fastest, um, jump the highest, nor was I the person that you, uh, that you wanted. If you were on my team, you wanted the ball in my hand in high pressure situations. When there was a little bit of time on the clock, I wasn't the, probably the guy that you were thinking, Hey, we got to get the ball to him. We want the ball to be in his hands. No, there were always people on the team that were better at that sort of thing than, than I was. And so as I think about myself in a physical sense, uh, my thinking or uh, my thought process is just average, just very, very average. And perhaps maybe, maybe you feel the same way. My, my grandfather, some of you remember him and, 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 and knew him well, uh, he used to joke that he was coiled steel. I don't know if any of you remember him saying that, but he'd walk around and, and always sort of with a smirk on his face, sort of a twinkle in his eye, you know, he'd hold his arm like this, and he'd say, coiled steel. And we all knew better. He wasn't coiled steel. He was a man just like the rest of us. I, I, I still remember many, many times that he, uh, he would say, I, he, would tell, he would pretend that he had enough strength to either land me in the hospital for six months or to give me sudden death. It was my choice. He'd ask me, he'd say, come over here. He'd look at me and say, six months in the hospital or sudden death? I'm like, what a choice is that, you know? And, and of course, he was, he was being a little, uh, a, a little bit of a prankster, I suppose, and, uh, in, in, that, in that sense. You know, I've never spent a great, a great deal of time in the weight room lifting and making, uh, they say, I guess, gains physically. I, I probably should give more attention to this sort of thing uh, because the Bible does refer to our bodies as being the temple of the Holy Ghost. And it is true that the physical condition, truthfully, the physical condition of our bodies can either greatly enhance our ability to serve the Lord or, or they can greatly reduce our ability to serve the Lord. That's a convicting thought, isn't it? You know, you, you get to yourself in, in, in a position where you're so unhealthy and not, not necessarily because of just, that's just the body you have, but because perhaps of some choices and decisions that you've made. And in many respects, you'll have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account as to why you so abused your body that you were not able to give the Lord what he was worthy of. Something to think about, certainly. Now, while the above, all of that is true, can I remind you that one can be very weak physically and still have incredible strength and power spiritually? In fact, there is a Bible principle that reveals that you and I are most strong in the Lord when we are most weak in our own flesh. Paul, Paul was, was really, he was taught this lesson in what we might say the school of hard knocks. In the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, as the Lord, uh, as, as, as Paul is dealing with a thorn in the flesh, the Bible says that he went to the Lord on three separate occasions and asked the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh. And uh, on three separate occasions, God told him no. 
Would you hold your place here in Ephesians 6? And let's just look at what Paul wrote because it really is so very life-giving. The Bible says in verse number 9, Paul goes through this season in which he's dealing with this thorn in the flesh. God won't take it away. He asked the Lord again. God still won't take it away. He goes to the Lord a third time and God still won't take it away. And finally God responds to him and he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now listen, this is a pivotal moment in Paul's life. Just as just as when the Lord doesn't always answer your prayer request the way that you would want him to answer to is a pivotal moment in your life as well. And I want you to notice Paul's conclusion. I want you to notice Paul's response to the Lord not doing what Paul wanted him to do. Look in verse number 10. Actually, look in verse number 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Look, here it is, right here. here. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, Paul's admission to be strong in the Lord, found here in Ephesians chapter number six, is a... um, is really a very powerful thing considering who's writing it. And, and by the way, included in this, uh, in, included in this is a list of, uh, of some things that must be present in our lives in order for us to be strong. Now, there, there's no doubt we're not going to be able to get through all of these things tonight. We're just going to tackle the first one. And Lord willing, next week we'll look at the second two things that we find must be present in our lives if we are going to be strong in the Lord. But can we all agree tonight that we do need to be strong in the Lord? Would you not agree with me that the world is getting worse by the minute, uh, that things are not improving, they're getting worse? And can we all see on the horizon uh, certainly a day in which it'll be very, very critical that you and I are strong in the Lord. That day is coming. I believe it's approaching very rapidly. Now is the time. It's not, it's not sufficient for us to sit around and say, well, one of these days I'm sure I'll be ready to rise up to face that challenge. No, now is the time to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, before Paul gets to this list, I, I couldn't help but notice that he gives some principles about the spiritual conflict that reveal just how important it is that we be strong. And let me just share these principles with you that I I find are just unmistakable in our text. Number one, the first principle is this. You must know that the devil is very, very good at what he does. That's, That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Look in verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying, listen, if you don't have the whole armor of God on, you are going to be in trouble. Because the devil is very, very good at what he does. Now, the word that gives us a clue about this principle is the word wiles found in verse number 11. That, that word is a translation of the Greek word methodia from where we get our own word method. So he's saying, in essence, he's saying, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the methods of the devil. Let me ask you this question. What are some of the methods of the devil? You know these things, don't you? I mean, we're not, 
We're, we're not so spiritually undiscerning that we can't figure out as, 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 as believers and, and as members of Cleveland Baptist Church what some of the methods of the devil are. The devil's very good at what he does. The, the, word, the word method or methodia or wiles here, it means traveling over, it means trickery, or it means to lie in wait. So, so what do we learn about about this, because I really think in some respects, I think you could apply all three meanings or definitions to what the devil does. Here's, here's, here's what I'm saying. Listen, uh, he has spent the last 6,000 years of human history traveling all over the world perfecting his craft, hasn't he? I mean, he's been in every situation. He's been in every scenario. He has, he has faced the strongest men and women. He has faced the weakest men and women. And I just want you to know something. He has traveled all over, and, and he, has, he has perfected his craft. And can I say this? That he will use just about anything to bring you down and destroy you. In other words, he does not play by the rules. There are, there are no rules for the devil when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to this type of thing. Um. You, you can talk about different wars that have been fought over time, and we can point to examples of, of, um, of, of horrible, horrible things happening in war. And we might, we might say, well, when it, when it comes to one soldier against another, well, that's just sort of how it goes. Because the goal is to, is, is to, is to kill the other person before he kills you. But you know as well as I do that some armies... Some men have been so very wicked as to go into places where there are civilians. And civilians don't carry weapons. Civilians aren't there to fight the battles. Those are between soldiers. And yet, and yet they've done despicable, horrible things to civilians. So there have been, there have been some rules that have been adopted. Some things that uh, we're supposed to abide by in this, in this war. And it's not necessarily like there are referees blowing whistles and calling fouls on different people. But you, you get the idea that, uh, that, that the soldier should abide by a certain code of conduct. But I want to remind you, listen, I want to remind you, in this war, there are no rules. At least not on, not on the devil's side. No, no, he will use any trick available to him. He will do anything in his power to destroy your life and, 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 to, and, to, and to bring you down. And can I just say this? Listen, he never gives up. So, so in other words, he will lie in wait for as long as it takes to, to spot a, a, weak, a weak spot or a weak moment in your life, and he will pounce. So listen, you better understand this. You better be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and you better put on what we're going to identify in this text, what Paul really is going to identify in this text. You better be on guard with these things, or you are going to succumb to the wiles, the methods of the devil, because he's good at what he does. The point is this, listen, you are no match for him in your own strength and in your own power. You must, you must be strong in the Lord. So that's principle number one. Notice principle number two. As we continue reading this text, there's a second principle that I think can be identified, and that is this. Not only is the devil very good at what he does, but number two, can I say this, that the devil, from what I'm reading here, has seized control over this world. The devil has seized he has wrestled, he has stolen control over this world. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 12. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness, notice, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, Paul reminds the Ephesian believers that their battle that they're in, this war that they're in, is not a physical battle. It's not a physical war. And this is a necessary reminder. Now, now you ever find yourself, you ever find yourself, I'll just be a little bit transparent with you. Do you ever find yourself wanting to punch somebody or slap somebody as they belligerently and obnoxiously flaunt their wickedness and defy God's word and teachings? Am I the only one that when I see when I see the world get up and, 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 and just do the most uh, perverted and profane things in the sight of our children, and, and just in, in, in plain day, I just sometimes I, I can just notice my, my, my hand is forming into a fist. And, I, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wanting to make this thing a physical thing. I, maybe, maybe I'm the only one in here. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. So maybe I'm the only one. But I just got to tell you, sometimes, sometimes I want to, I, I just say, you know what? Let's just, let's just fight this thing out. You come on over here and you, you act like you're so strong and let's just, let's just go, let's just go at it. But then we, went, then we read this text, don't we? Paul says, that's not the way to solve anything. He says, we don't, we're not, we're not wrestling. We're not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go put a, bear, a sinner in a bear hug. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wrestle him to the ground. No, no, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That, that's that's not what this is about. This is a that would be a natural carnal response. In other words, if I did that, in some respects, I'd be just as wrong and just as bad as the guy who had started the whole thing to begin with. Honestly, uh, the Bible. The Bible is clear that, that that would not solve anything, that that would be a fleshly and carnal response. It would not be pleasing to the Lord and certainly wouldn't, wouldn't gain me any friends or any followers. Why? Because our fight isn't with flesh and blood. So it cannot be won by flesh and blood. I, I, cannot, I cannot win it by being strong enough, by being mighty enough, by being able to, 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 to outlast you or to outrun you. No, no, that's not how this works. Paul writes that the devil, listen, has permeated this entire world and that there are very, very high places where spiritual wickedness and evil is in complete control. Complete control. I've often, I've often thought, I'm going to, probably venture into a place where maybe I ought not to venture, but I've often thought, and I wouldn't be dogmatic about this, but I believe there are certain positions of power in this world in which an individual might have to make some very hard and difficult choices. I'm trying to be guarded with what I say, but I think a person might have to betray some things that he knows is wrong or that he maybe even knows is right if he is going to sit in that position of power and authority. Because, because the de- listen, the devil's got a stranglehold on some of those places. And I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna you know, delve into it and start naming offices and positions. I'll let your mind wander a little bit to try to guess where my mind is on all of that. But I'm just simply saying, listen, the devil is, he has seized control of this world. We often talk about how wonderful it'd be to have a godly Christian believer in this position or that position of power and then I, I sometimes wonder, is that even possible anymore? Is it even possible to get a sold-out 
on fire for God, living in revival Christians, sitting in a certain position and, 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 and legislating and ruling in a place in which he has a great amount of authority. I don't know. Some of these are just my own musings, but you should know, you should know, all of us should know that the devil has a stranglehold on our world. And that includes influence in very high places. But notice there's a third principle. Before we even get to how to be strong in the Lord, here's a third principle that you must know. Though the enemy is mighty, we can overcome. Look what it says in verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Can I, can I just encourage you to help you understand that? That, that word, when you read that, it sounds like stand, in just, just, just standing is all, is all I want to do. And I've always sort of, I've always sort of understood it as, as such. But the truth of the matter is that, that that word, if you study it deeper, I believe it means, it actually doesn't mean just to stand, like, well, here I am, I'm, I'm still barely standing. No, that word actually means to overcome. So in other words, we, uh, we, we, don't have to be, we don't have to be satisfied with, uh, with, with, with just barely making it. No, listen, in your Christian life, you can be an overcomer. And so can I as we're strong in the Lord. Now, Paul does not sugarcoat things. He, he, he acknowledges the devil is mighty and powerful. However, we can and we should be satisfied with nothing less than to overcome the devil you don't have to live in constant defeat, as many Christians do, and as sometimes I do. You and I, we can overcome the devil and stay upright in our walk. But it will not happen. Listen, it will not happen so long as you rely on your own strength, your own power, and your own might. No, we must resist trusting in the arm of the flesh. I want you to see an illustration of this. Go with me to 2 Chronicles 32, would you? 2 Chronicles chapter number 32. In 2 Chronicles 32, there's a king, an Old Testament king. His name is Hezekiah. And the nation of Assyria has invaded Hezekiah's kingdom. And the people are afraid. And notice, notice what Hezekiah says to them, verse number 6. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city. And notice he spake comfortably to them. You know, that sort of means, sort of means this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Sometimes, sometimes we, we just need somebody to say, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. That's what he's saying. Look what he says in verse number seven. Here's, here's what he said. Here's the comfortable words he said. He said, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. Notice, for there be more with us than with him. Look at verse number eight. One of the great statements of faith in all of the Bible. With him, with the king of Assyria, is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You know what we need to be reminded of tonight? We need to be reminded that though this, though this text that we've just read is thousands of years old, and though it was pertaining to a physical battle, a physical war, the truth of it has not changed. And we need to be reminded, listen, listen, the devil, yeah, I, you see him, but, but, but maybe just maybe God has sent me here tonight to encourage all of us, myself included, to say, don't, don't be afraid. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't, don't be dismayed. When you, look at, when you look at the devil and you look at the forces of evil, I get it. 
But you just remember this, there'll be more with us than there are with him. See, with him, with the devil, is an arm of flesh. In other words, he, he's, he is power, but he's limited in power. But with us is the Lord our God. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that encouraging to know? God's plan has not changed. If we are going to stand, if we are going to overcome in this world against the devil who is very good at what he does and who has seized control over this world, then the template to do so is found in Ephesians Chapter number six. Number one, let me say this, and it's the only thing that we'll cover tonight. Number one, spiritual strength is found in what you are wearing. Spiritual strength is found in what you are wearing. Now, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I knew it. I knew it. I I knew he go to a Baptist church and they're going to start talking about what you're going to (laughs) wear. I know what you're thinking, but that's not what I'm talking about at all. As I look around the room tonight, everybody's dressed differently. Some of you have uh, suits and ties on, some of you don't. Some of you ladies have skirts and dresses on, some of you don't. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Can I, can I just say this? Spiritual strength is never found in what someone is wearing, physically, never. And can I just say that for far too long, we have, we have done the easy thing. You know what the easy thing is? The easy thing is just to fix the outside. That's the easy thing, and we've been satisfied with that. So long as, so long as his haircut's right, and so long as he is dressed right, and so long as he, you know, is, is doing what I think he should be doing, then everything is fine. And I just have to tell you, I have to tell you, it's a whole lot easier, it's a whole lot easier just to dress right than it is to do the real work of being strong in the Lord. And we have, we, have, we have fallen, in some respects, I think we've fallen for that trick. And we've convinced ourselves, you wear a tie, you wear a long enough dress or a long enough skirt, you, you wear this or you wear that, or, 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 or you, you, know, you, you just do these, these little things that you have to do. You know what that's called? That's called legalism. And listen, le- legalism does not equip one to stand against the wiles of the devil. Legalism, uh, be, just, just because, you're, just because you're, 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 your suit is a, is a three-piecer, just because you polished your shoes last night before you came to church, just because your skirt is long enough doesn't give you power over the devil, period, period. But, but, we, but, but we, sometimes we've just said as long as, and, and, I, and maybe I, should, I say we, maybe I should say me, as long as I look okay, as long as my as long as my hair is 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 to the proper you know the proper length and you know and I'm clean shaven you know you know there was a you know there was a day in which people talked about preached against having beards. What a crazy thing! Are you kidding me? You know you know the vast majority of people in the Bible probably had beards. Now, not the women, but the men probably. You know they they had beards. That was a pretty normal thing for that culture. I think we can make a. We can make a safe assumption that Jesus had a beard, and yet, and yet there were, now like I, I know it was a long time ago, and I know it might have had some associations with some things, but to, but to stand in a pulpit and say, hey, bless God, as long as your face is clean shaven, you're right with God, is silly. It's silly, and then, we, and then we wonder. We wonder why people go off the rails and they do crazy things is because, is because all they've done, all they've done is just fix the outside. And they've done nothing. They have done nothing to address the inside. Now listen, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying here. I still believe in modesty. 
And I believe in the principles of identity. I think a man ought to look like a man. A woman ought to look like a woman. I, I believe all of that stuff. But do not get confused here. Spiritual strength is not found in wearing a suit on Sunday. And it's not found in, 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 in a modest, wearing a modest dress uh, to church on Sunday. Again, some have tried to push this narrative, and it is a dangerous one. It is a poor substitute. It is a poor substitute for what the Bible really teaches. And again, as I said a moment, it's a whole lot easier to dress a certain way than it is to develop, to develop the clothing that is called for here to be spiritually strong. So Paul writes that if you're going to stand in the evil day or the day of your temptation, when the devil comes to violently assault you, you'd better be wearing certain things. And you're saying, well, what is that? Well, let me give it to you. Number one, you better be wearing truth. You better be wearing truth. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter number six. Some of you maybe are there already, but would you look in verse number 14 of Ephesians chapter number six? And notice Paul says in this text, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. When Jesus said about the devil in John eight forty four, Jesus said he is a liar. And he is the father of it, the father of lies. You know, the de- did you know the devil's first lie was a lie of self-deceit? And by the way, some of the most dangerous lies that you will ever tell are not told to someone else. They're told to yourself. And what's really scary is when we begin to believe our own lies. The devil convinced himself that he could ascend and overtake God's throne. So the Bible says, the Bible says in Isaiah 14, verse number 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art, thou cut, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, he's telling, he's telling a lie to himself, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You see all those I wills, I will, I will, I will. All of that, all of that was a form of self-deceit. Here's what God had to say about it. Yet, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. The devil had delusions of grandeur, didn't he? He was convinced, he was convinced that he was going to wrestle the, the authority. Now listen, he seized control of this world and, 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 and perhaps maybe that was paybacks for not being able to seize control of heaven, which he'll never be able to do. Maybe that was just one, one way in which he thought, hey, I can get back at God in some way. And God looked at him and God says, you'll never have this throne. And by the way, God's gonna, God's gonna make everything right in the end, so don't get too worried about it. Does he have control over some things now? Sure. But just, just sit back and watch. God's going to take it back away from him. And he is, going to be, he is going to be sentenced to an eternal destiny in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. You know, the second lie that Adam, as far as, far as we know, the second lie that the devil, the devil told was not a, a lie of self-deceit, but it was actually a lie that he told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he told them there that they could eat the forbidden fruit and not die. The Bible says in Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not, ye shall not surely die. Now God had told them that they, should die, that they would die when this happened. Now let me just say, listen, when God has clearly said something, don't, don't, don't question. Somebody says, don't doubt in the night what God has spoken in the light. 
Don't, 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 you, don't you know what the Bible says and then have somebody come along and start whispering in your ear things that God has said are not so. That's, that's, what, that's what the devil did to Adam and Eve. And look at the mess that we're all in. Don't, don't think you're going to fare any better. I've seen it. I've seen people who know what God's word has to say, who know what the Bible teaches. Somebody comes along. Maybe it's the devil himself. Maybe it's somebody else. And they start whispering in their ear, you, you shall not surely die. God didn't. You know, God didn't really mean that. He says, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, let me ask you this question. How, they, now, they believe this. How did it work out for them? Not very good. And we stand here today and say, how has it worked out for us? Not good at all. Can I just remind you, listen, he's been lying ever since. Now listen, if you're going to if you if you're going to stand against the, if you're going to overcome the devil, you better understand that he is a liar, and you better know the truth. You bet you better have your loins girt about with truth, or you're gonna you're gonna fall every single time. Truth, you better be wearing truth. Truth is found in God's word. So this book ought to govern our daily lives. When the devil comes to tempt you. With his lies, you can defeat him like Jesus did. What did Jesus do? And I've often thought about that. Jesus, there at the temptation of Christ, tempted three different times, and I suppose that Jesus could have defeated him any way he wanted to. And Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. But I, do, I, I truly believe that he did what he did there to, to show us, to give us a template. This is how it's done. Because Jesus, Jesus didn't, didn't necessarily need to quote God's word. Jesus could have just strangled the devil right then and there. But I think what Jesus was doing is Jesus saying, here's, here's how it's done. Follow, follow my example. You better know what the Bible says. Because when the devil comes to tempt you, it's usually going to be to get you to do something contrary to what this book teaches. You better know what the Bible teaches and what the Bible says. You better be wearing truth if you're going to stand, if you're going to be spiritually strong. Number two, you better be wearing righteousness having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now listen, holy living is still the standard for God's people. The world lives a certain way, and everyone understands that, what the, that they do what they do because they're lost, right? I mean, you know, we, we get that. Lost people are going to live like lost people. That's how it works. But can I say that Christian people, believers, ought to live like believers, Paul wrote about what characterizes the lives of the unrighteous. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So look at that list. He deals with, he deals with sins of the flesh, fornicators, he deals with idolatry, which is spiritual wickedness. He deals with adultery, which is another sin of the flesh. He deals with being effeminate, which is gender confusion, uh, abusers of themselves with mankind. He deals with thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's still the standard. These things, I realize our world is sort of turning the page on these things, but God's people ought not to turn the page on these things. The Bible, the Bible hasn't, hasn't corrected itself here. The Bible stands. 
The word of God is sure. Paul, Paul then goes on to explain in that same passage that his believers, the members of Corinth, were different and that the expectations for their living was different. Look what he says in, in verse number 11. He says, and such were some of you. You know, he's saying, he's saying, but you're not that anymore. You used to be like that, but you're not anymore. Such were some of you, but ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, every day, every day you must determine that righteousness is still going to be the standard for your life as a believer. The only way you can live up to this new standard is by the power of God. I'm I'm just saying, listen, you, you are going to fall, you are going to fall to the devil. You are not gonna be spiritually strong so long as you think righteousness is still an optional thing for you. In other words, if I wake up, if I wake up tomorrow and it's Monday and I'm sitting here saying, you know, I, I, I'll just play it by ear. You know, am I going to do the right thing or am I going to do the wrong thing? I don't know. We'll just see how I feel in the moment. Guess what? You're going down. But if you wake up and you say, Lord, with your help, my loins are going to be about, girt about with truth and I'm going to wear the breastplate of righteousness. With your help, by your strength, by your power, hey, listen, you can overcome the devil. Number three, you better be wearing peace. You better be wearing peace. Verse number 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, Jesus said in John 16, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know, the world longs for peace, but has none. You're gonna hear a lot about peace on earth in the next month. And, and it's a, it, is a, it is a pipe dream for this world, a dream, because they, they, they can't have peace. The world, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. That's how it works. The only way to have peace is to know Jesus. It's the only way to have peace. And some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You know what life was like before you met Jesus Christ. And today, today, you have peace. Doesn't mean your life is perfect. Doesn't mean there aren't some issues every now and then, but you have peace. Why? Because that's something that Jesus gives to his people. He does that by overcoming the world. In the world, there's constant turmoil and conflict and anxiety. And that's, you know why? Because the devil's the God of this world. That's what he gives. That's what he brings. It isn't until someone hears the beautiful gospel and believes it that they can have true peace. Listen, in a world that is filled with anything but peace and facing a devil who wants to steal your peace, you'd better make sure you are clothed with God's peace. And by the way, this peace is accessed, is still accessed through praying about everything that makes us anxious. So the Bible says in Philippians chapter number four, be careful for nothing but in everything. By prayer, in supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then what happens? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Somebody might come to me after the service and say, I'm anxious about something. And the truth of the matter is, the question we ought to be asking, have we prayed about it? I mean, have we really prayed about it? We've just given the thing to the Lord. Peace. You better be wearing peace. Number, number four, you better be wearing faith. Verse number 16 The Bible says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, the phrase above all doesn't mean that this is of greater importance than all the others. No, really, I think the phrase, it really just means that the shield of faith is over all. 
That's sort of the way that this works. You know, a soldier might be able to cover his entire body, depending on how big his shield is, and depending on what kind of posture that he was holding it. So, for instance, if I'm a soldier and I'm standing here, my shield is just, you know, from here to here, and I'm standing like this, well, then there's going to be parts of my body that are exposed, right? But, you know, if I were to kneel down and I were to take that shield and I were to hunker down underneath the thing or perhaps put it over my head as arrows are flying. You know what I can do? I can, I can cover all of me. So, so what he's saying here is he's saying the shield of faith isn't any more important than the helmet of salvation or the, you know, the, the breastplate of righteousness or the loins that are girt about with truth or the gospel of peace. No, no, it's just, it's just the thing that God gives us uh, that we use to cover ourselves with. That, that's what he's saying here. The Bible is clear that faith is the only way to please God. And the devil has successfully caused the vast majority of this world to believe that they can please God through some work of their flesh. Did you know that every false religion, the a lot of times people come and say, what do these people believe? What do those people believe? You know what, I've, I've just gotten into the habit of telling them, you know what they believe? They believe that you can earn your way to heaven. Because that's every other, that's every other faith system in the world believes that, that they can do something to earn favor with God. Going all the way back to the garden. When, when man sinned, what did man do? What did he do? He made, he made, he made, took leaves and he made aprons for himself. You know what he's trying to do? He was trying to cover himself up so that God would be pleased with him. And what did God do? God came and God killed an animal and he made coats of skins. And from the very beginning, the innocent dying for the guilty, the innocent, that animal had done nothing wrong, but that animal had to lose its life in order to cover man's nakedness. Yet man has resisted every step of the way. No, no, let me make my apron. Let me sew some fig leaves together. Let me do it my way. God says it doesn't work that way. Did you know all the great characters of the Bible discovered a key spiritual principle, and that is this, any accomplishment of spiritual nature is always by faith. I'll spend some time in Hebrews 11. Listen to Hebrews 11, 4, by faith Abel. Verse five, by faith Enoch. Verse seven, by faith Noah. Verse eight, by faith Abraham. Verse 20, by faith Isaac. Verse 21, by faith Jacob. Verse 22, by faith Joseph. Verse 23, by faith Moses. Verse 31, by faith the, Rahab, the harlot Rahab. Uh, the, the, is every, every one of them, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. In other words, whatever they did, they did it by faith. And that's why God was pleased with them. The word faith speaks of conviction. It speaks of reliance or persuasion. So here's a question. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about the devil? What do you believe about yourself? Many of our problems come when we begin to believe the wrong things. We start saying or thinking things like God is not good or why did God allow this or why did God allow that? I I don't know how many of you are aware of this. We we probably should have said something about it sooner, but Dr. R.B. Willett, who's preached here on several occasions, just probably two weeks or so ago, had surgery to remove his voice box. He had to have a laryngectomy maybe. I don't know if that's exactly what it's called. But literally, he no longer has the ability to speak with a normal voice. He's gotten cancer on two separate occasions. And the doctors basically have said, if you're gonna survive, then this is what we have to do. It's radical. Just the other day, uh, Dr. Ouellette wrote this on his social media page. Here's what he said. He said, God didn't give me cancer. He said, Adam and Eve did. I thought, what a what a paradigm-shifting perspective. This is God's fault. No, this is, this is just part of living in a sin-cursed world. And that's how it works. But you know, the problem is, is that we, 
we don't, we, 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 our, our faith doesn't take us that far, and we want to blame somebody. It's just as easy enough to blame God. I'm just telling you, listen, by faith, by faith, you better be wearing faith. Last thing tonight, look, look at what you need to be wearing. You need to be wearing the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We'll talk, we'll talk about a few more things in, the, in, in next, next Sunday night, Lord willing. Let's just focus on this idea of salvation. Now, in a parallel passage, the helmet of salvation is referred to a little differently. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 8. I'm not sure if, yeah, there it is. He says, but let us be, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and foreign helmet, the hope of salvation. So this gives maybe a little bit more context and maybe can help us to understand really the fact that though it's spoken different ways here, it really means the same thing. So hope in the midst of battle is often what keeps a soldier fighting on, right? Man, if I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight just a little, I'm gonna hold on just a little bit longer because I, I, I know if I can just get through this battle, if I can just get through today, and then I can just get through tomorrow, I can get back home, and I can be back with my family, and I can live in peace again, and I can work a normal nine-to-five job, and, and, uh, and I can stand up for our country and for its values and, 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 and give freedom and liberty to the generations that are to come. And so what keeps a soldier fighting on is that hope. We don't listen. We don't have hope for salvation as just a mere wish. Because you know a lot of our boys have gone to a foreign place, and they've hoped to get home, and they've never gotten home. So that's not, that's not the type of hope we're talking about here. When he says the hope of salvation is not, well, I hope so. I hope when I draw my last breath that I wake up in God's eternal home. No, no, that's, that's, not the, that's not the hope of the Bible. The hope of the Bible is not just a mere wish or desire, but the hope of the Bible is a confident expectation. It is a certainty. And here's what you need to understand. You need to understand the devil majors in doubt. The devil's going to come to you all day long and he's going to ask questions. Do you, are you really are you really saved? If you were really saved, would you do something like that? And he's going to ask question after question after question. And you understand this. Listen, God doesn't work that way. God gives certainty. God gives confidence. God gives assurance. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 5, verse 11 to 13. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You know, listen, your salvation is not based upon how you feel today. Your salvation is based upon this. Do you have the Son of God, and does he have you? That's what it's all about. What do you believe about Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus is? Do you, do you agree with the Bible? Have you acknowledged Jesus as your Savior? Have you acknowledged your sinfulness? Have you repented of your sins and believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. It really is that simple. He goes on to say, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now listen, how, how pathetic and how weak would you be, would I be in spiritual battle if we did not know for sure that our salvation was settled? See how important this is? It is vital. And with, listen, with this sustaining thought, we are on the winning side. Then you and I can march confidently into any battle without dread or fear. As we conclude tonight, are you living in constant defeat? Maybe, just maybe, you should consider what you're wearing. 
You say, I thought that wasn't, that's right. I'm not talking about the color you're wearing tonight or the style. Saying this, are you wearing truth? Are you wearing righteousness? Are you wearing peace? Are you wearing faith? Are you clothed in salvation? Listen, these aren't things that you can earn or that you can buy. They can't, you can't go out and purchase these things. Listen, these are gifts from God. As we walk in his spirit and believe in him, he gives us, listen, he gives us the strength we need to withstand the wiles of the devil. So you want to be strong in the Lord tonight? Then you need to consider, what am I wearing? What am I wearing? Put on the whole armor of God. You better put on, you better put on truth. You better put on righteousness. You better put on peace, faith, salvation. You better put it on. You better be wearing it. And may God help each and every one of us. Our heads